Welcome back to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon, and thanks for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, thanks so much. It's great to have you here on YouTube. Today, we welcome Sarah Purcell to the podcast. Sarah is a 61-year-old former investment banker turned Pilates and yoga teacher. She created a weightlifting program for osteoporosis called Bone Boot Camp. She reversed her own osteoporosis using this protocol and has been helping other women with low bone density get over their fear of movement. She works with clients in person in Florida and online via Zoom. She is the co-founder of Pause for Movement, an online workout program for peri- and postmenopausal women that focuses on core and pelvic floor. Her goal is to spread the word that aging does not have to mean core and pelvic floor dysfunction and aches and pains that keep coming back. You can grow stronger and healthier as you age. During the podcast, we discuss osteoporosis versus osteopenia, Wolf's Law, the importance of building muscle to build bone, bone density versus bone quality, taking back our health and our responsibility in our health, mobility as a function of range of motion, alignment and posture, the shoulder as a pivotal joint in all things movement. Now, we also don't spend any time talking about the core and pelvic floor, and so if you're interested in that, make sure you go back and watch the podcast or listen to the podcast with Erica Zeal all about the core and pelvic floor. And also stay to the end to find out some simple movements to combat those niggling aches and pains we all tend to start having in menopause. At the end of the episode, make sure you visit drmichellegordon.com forward slash podcasts, where you can find the show notes plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy the episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you're always the first to know when each episode is released. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for all the five-star reviews. If you haven't left a review yet, please take the time to review the podcast. This helps more women to find it and get the help they need during the disruption of menopause. No one should have to go it alone. And thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. Now. Let's get to Sarah Purcell. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. And thank you very it's much. It's kind of cool because, you know, I've had Kristen Bowen on and she mm -hmm. talks about healing. You know who she is? I do. I mean, I'm not a big follower I, because yeah, I just no. don't have the time to follow everybody. Of course, yeah. that makes sense. But, you know, she talks about osteoporosis and healing from osteoporosis using magnesium. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now you uh, help women heal from osteoporosis with movement. So you want to just talk yes. a little bit about that? Sure. When I had my own diagnosis of osteoporosis, when I turned 60, I am very petite and small boned. So I'd had osteopenia. I assumed using Dr. Susan Ott's calculator, she's University of Washington. It's well known that people with small body mass will have lower bone density just based on, we're talking about standard deviations. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I am a standard deviation. <laughs> I was born a standard deviation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in any event, the, just the label osteoporosis freaked me out. Mm. And I certainly did not want to take the medications. And my point of view on that, and everybody's got a different situation, and I don't judge anybody who takes meds. But for me, I've been a person who has always reacted poorly to medications. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I can't even take very many, like a painkiller will make me throw, I'll throw it up. So. Anyway, that being said, I knew that the side effects of the medications were not to my liking, as well as the fact that any drug that they tell you you need a drug holiday, I'm like, 
Hmm. Well, let's a just talk about that holiday. for one second. Let, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not an osteoporosis expert. I'll, I'll, you know, right. I'm a surgeon. So I know about the bisphosphonates and I know that they can be, they can really wreak havoc on us, but let's just talk yes. about osteoporosis for one second about yes. what it is. Right. Yeah. So basically, you know, we're not, we're not getting the calcium we need. And so we start eating up our bones. Correct. Right. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. And, and it can, you know, there can be a lot of things and I'm not a nutritional expert. I bring in nutritional experts. What I do know and understand from everything I have researched and learned is that the first place, and I'm sure you talk to clients or customers, patients about this is it starts in the gut. If the nutrients you take in can't get into your bloodstream, they can't get to your bones or to your other organs. Mm -hmm. So it starts in the gut. And so I always suggest that people see a really qualified nutritional expert, whether it's a functional medicine doctor, a nutritionist, but they need to see somebody who's dealt with people with osteoporosis. So many problems in the world. So I always suggest they start with nutrition. You can't, you know, no, no amount of weightlifting in the world is going to help you if you don't have the bone building elements going into your body. So and magnesium is a really, well, you know, there, there are so many, but the ones that I focus on is calcium, of course, but yeah. there's a lot of controversy in the osteoporosis world about what, like, shouldn't you just get it from nutrition? rather than supplements. Well, you know, there is some controversy. There is controversy about this because one of the more recent studies in the last five or six years showed that exogenous calcium can cause atherosclerosis. So So your heart suffers. What that means, what that means, so exogenous means taking it from outside, so not from a food source. And then atherosclerosis, of course, can is like hardening of the arteries. And, right. and, you know, we have to go back and really, you know, talk about, in order to talk about heart disease, we have to talk about the fact that, you know, what, what has really been shown over the years to cause heart disease is not fat, but sugar. And all of that research right. was suppressed by the sugar industry. And then, the, exactly. then on top of that, we have all of the studies that have to do with heart up until recently and, and recently meaning the 2000s being done on men. So we don't have yes. a good body of research for <laughs> we women. Don't. And we do so, so the, the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, if your doctor tells you to take exogenous calcium, you know, that's fine. And there are some medications that require it. But at the same time, you know, you want to make sure that you're, you're monitoring your, your heart. Yeah. And there's ways to do that without something that's invasive, you know, that there's, there's, st- you know, like a special type of CT and that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Actually, I just had one. I was doing some Alzheimer's prevention blood work. And so we just did a full workup and zero, zero calcium deposits. So that's great. But there's a lot of ways to avoid calcium deposits. One of them is movement. So let's let's talk a bit about the movement that you do. Yeah. So when I had that diagnosis, I went and started researching. And we've known for a long time, based on Wolf's Law, that there's an adaptation process. That All right. Goes well, on. let's let's back up because yeah. we're talking to to everyone who doesn't to know everybody. What that is. So, what so, is Wolf's Law? Yeah. So, Wolf's Law basically says that the body will adapt to load that's put upon it. And people okay. initially started thinking just about muscle, and we know that in regards to just like a bodybuilder weightlifting. So we can also now go deeper and look at the fact that when the muscle contracts around the bone, and I'm going to speak like a layperson here, not like okay. a researcher, Good. that if the muscle is contracting around the bone, yes, you're building muscle, but your bone is also receiving the message, I need to be stronger mm-hmm. to manage this increased load. So it really encourages the building of bone. And we know there are two different things going on in the bone remodeling plot process. There's the breaking down of bone and there's the building of bone. 
And for women, we do know that in the la in the five years after you technically have menopause, that's when you lose the most amount of bone. And I've searched for conclusion research. It's all okay, just kind just of back muddled. up because you froze for a second. Yes. You've oh, searched okay, for sorry. research on estrogen. I mean, mm -hmm. because in these five years after menopause, that one year of no period that's when the biggest decline happens. That's when it happened for me. And most of my clients, that's when it happened there. And it's a totally different issue if you're talking about a, a 30 year old with osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. And I'm really working with women my age and older, maybe in their 50s. I'm 61. Okay. So what we, what we know is that this is a definite danger period. So there isn't conclusive enough evidence to say that going on hormone replacement therapy, you can't claim that you have research-based evidence that it's going to help you produce bone. The fact that I'm on a HRT, I, I don't really mention that very often because I don't want anybody to think I'm recommending it. I did read the book Estrogen Matters. I don't know if you have, and it influenced me. But in any event, that's beside the point. So what I do is well, I went to I mean, I'm research. just going to, I just want to yeah. go back and just talk about the fact that, you know, and one of the things I teach is that we, we're supposed to lose our hormones. That's natural. Right. Correct. And, yes, you know, this whole, this whole thought of hormone balancing and uh, that, that menopause is a medical condition yeah, just fuels the pharmaceutical industry. What I teach is that, at the end of the day, menopause is a natural process yes. that a lot of cultures didn't even have, like the Chinese didn't have a name for it because it wasn't a Correct. big deal yeah. up until recently. And so for us to think that, and, and, and I think that the biggest, the biggest thing is the fact that menopause is viewed in the Western world as a medical condition. It is not. You know, so if that's your belief, not. we're going to start right there and say, you know, what's a, what's a medical condition? A medical condition is something like osteoporosis. That's a medical condition. It's a medical condition from right. not having the right nutrients. It's a medical condition from not lifting enough, you know, or, or using your body enough. And we are trained from, I don't know, I, I want to say from now, especially now we're trained from, from birth to sit in front of a screen, to sit in front of a television, yeah. to you know, and we're not, yeah. we're not outside doing the work that we right. were supposed to do. And, and you think about, you know, how we evolved, you know, 10, 20,000, you know, millions of years ago, we were out running, we would only eat, you know, once a day of that, you know, so there's a lot of yeah. adaptations that have happened with Western, with, with the industrial kind of revolution. And so I just want to, you know, preface anything about yeah. you know, long-term hormone replacement or yeah, no. anything like that with, with the fact that, you know, we're supposed to lose our hormones. Right. True. Of, and mine is a natural. short, yeah, mine is a short-term yeah. solution to yeah. a problem, but it won't be a long-term solution for that very reason. So my, my solution that I looked for was an exercise solution. And I found re really good research out of Australia Griffith University, the Australian Bone Clinic is something they created after doing the Lift More study. And the Lift More study was men and women, two separate studies. And looking at the female study, they were able to do heavy lifting under supervision with women who were postmenopausal mm -hmm. and they increased their bone density. Now, bone density is only one measure. There, there's a whole issue of our focus based because of big pharma, our focus on bone density, whereas bone quality is a massive component of whether you're going to break a hip or not. And so let's, let's talk about that yes. for a second. Bone mm -hmm. density versus bone quality. How do you measure yeah. that? Well, bone quality has been harder to measure. There are now some tools and again, a CT is one of the best ways and it's expensive and insurance doesn't pay for it. So it doesn't happen that often. I haven't had it happen yet. I had my own <laughs> impromptu bone quality test this year when I, I picked up tennis two years ago and mm -hmm. I went 
flying for a ball because I'm competitive and I fell racket in my hand. I fell on my right hip, no arm breaking the ball. And I bounced right back up and everybody's like, Oh my God. And I said, no, I'm good. I feel great. And at that moment I realized I'd just done a bone quality test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, if you fell on your hip, you got a little bruise, but your hip didn't break and you know, right. especially the femoral neck there. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which is, which is the place where, you know, we tend to, we tend to have yeah. it as a weak area. And the femoral neck was where I had osteoporosis. Um, and I did measure in 2018 as back to osteopenia. So I'll be doing another test in 2020. And I'm doing that more so that I know a little bit more about the impact of my weightlifting. And then I probably mm -hmm. won't do it again. So let's just define osteopenia versus osteoporosis. Uh, so osteopenia was created by the World Health Organization when they were having their big con Congress meeting in Italy where they, where they did the, the numbers and came mm -hmm. up with what stand, how many standard deviations from the norm is osteoporosis. And it was really after they defined osteoporosis that they said, well, you know, researchers are going to need something to define a period of time before you're in osteoporosis. They called it osteopenia. They had no idea that the drug companies were gonna latch on to that <laughs> and that people would then leave, yeah, leave an in-office bone scan and have a little prescription for a biophosphonate because they had yeah. osteopenia. And it's not a disease. It is not a disease, it's just a stage. Yeah. And kind of like menopause, correct. just a phase in life. It's yeah. just a place. So it's just yes. a stage, which which can go either way, depending on what we do. So with, with that, what can we do? Yeah, so we can move more. And the very move first more. thing I suggest is walking. Now, I... Yeah, we're we're the yeah. same there. I mean, when somebody has not exercised, so, so you know, we just are not taught to exercise you know Correct. and unless you're, you're unless you're an athlete in high school or you know you, you i mean i remember i used to run in high school and then i had open heart surgery and oh so my. after my when i was 18 yeah. i had a congenital defect and so you know i ran i took this class called reading writing and running it was great you know i ran more than any other <laughs> woman that. in the you know in the class and then i had open heart surgery and i stopped running and i ne never picked it back up again and I never really exercised until like Body for Life came out back in the 90s, mm -hmm. right? And so I did that mm -hmm. and I lost some weight and I was in my 30s and that was great. And then when I really wanted to, you know, when I was perimenopausal, I didn't know I was, but I wanted to kind of get back control over my life after I'd started my surgical practice and things were kind of stable, I wanted to lose some weight. And so I said, well, let me do exactly what I was doing before. I'm going to lift some weights. I'm going to do some cardio. Couldn't shift the weight could not shift the weight yeah. at all. And, you know, that's menopause. And so that's when I started like doing the research and it's like, what's going on and why can't I shift the weight? And why do I feel yeah. like shit? You know, that sort of thing. So, so we're not taught. So let me just loop back. So at the end of the day, when I have women who come into the, the program that I have, I, the first thing I tell them is just start walking and start yeah. with five minutes a day, you know, right. That's, it's easy. Right. And then when they get into the membership, we, we have progressive exercises that, that get harder yeah. and harder, but yeah. we start easy, you know, but every right. month they get harder because we want them to do a little bit more weightlifting and right. that sort of thing. Cause we, yeah. we don't want osteoporosis. No, we don't. Yeah. yeah. And I love what you offer because it's what I think every perimenopausal woman should be doing. Yeah because it's it's like anything else when's the best time to build bone 20 years ago <laughs> but we don't have that luxury so but if the message can get out through people like you to reach women to get into some practices that will really help them so that that bone breakdown doesn't go off and become so much higher than the bone building. And yeah, a way to, to work on increasing your bone building is load. And load can be gotten through walking. Now you add weight to your walking. I walk with a weighted vest. 
then you, you're having a little more impact. And that's particularly important for someone like me who's so tiny that I need more weight because my walking doesn't afford my hip the kind of weight bearing that I really mm-hmm. need. Well, there's an interesting thing about the hip. When you lose five pounds, right? Mm-hmm. When you're five pounds lighter, you're taking 15 pounds of weight off the hip. And yeah. so, you know, if you're at your ideal weight and you're super petite, then to not have enough, you know, weight, you're, you're going to yeah. have a harder time building bone. Yeah. Now, that's not an excuse to be overweight. That is no. just, <laughs> you know, right. but, but I mean, you know, but, but it is a fact, <laughs> but at the end of the day, with somebody like me, I mean, I'm overweight and, and I'm working hard to lose weight and, and I run and, and all these things. And so it's really great because as the weight comes off, then my power goes up and my ability yeah. to, you know, run goes up, you know, right. with decreased effort. Right. And so, you know, somebody like you, who's already at ideal weight, then you want to add you know, right. So it really I depends. need to add weight. Yeah. But it depends just like anything on you. else. Well, just like anything else. I mean, in menopause, right, there is no one size fits all answer. Right. Never. And the same thing in osteoporosis. And that's why, you know, the, the doctors just want to write drugs because that's what we're taught. Let's not, I'm a doctor. Right. I get it. We are right. taught to just, you know, use our prescription pad because yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, you know, we're in America. Are you in America? Yeah. You're in America, right? Florida. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, in America, we live for corporations. We don't live for the human. We live for corporations. I mean, that's Correct. just, it's all about, you know, profit. And so in, a, in our medical schools, we intentionally don't teach doctors business and we don't teach doctors anything but how to kind of manage a chronic disease. Correct. You know? And that's, yeah. that's on purpose. That's, that's all by design. Yeah. That's kind of like, wouldn't it be lovely if Medicare paid for a weightlifting program rather than a bone huh. drug, you know, wouldn't it be great? But nonetheless, and that's when the bone drug disease prevention though. Remember that's yeah, disease prevention. And when it comes to disease prevention, that doesn't give anybody any profit. Right. So right. we have to take back, you know, the, the, we the, have to the take, take ownership message here is mm-hmm. we've got to take, take ownership of our health and we've got to take back control from you know, big pharma and Correct. the medical, you know, whatever the medical industrial complex is now. Yes. That's our, it's our responsibility it, yes. to take it that totally back. Is. It's so important. I agree with you. It is vitally important. So I looked at the lift more protocol. I did look at a couple of other gentle weightlifting programs and I'm, I'm a certified teacher in buff bones, which is a Pilates based movement. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty much about getting active again safely and little two pound weights. And you can do a lot with that. And there there have been studies on wheelchair bound people increasing wrist bone density with little weight programs. So -hmm. there's always something you can do. You can be 80 and help yourself. You can take charge and no, not everybody can lift heavy, but you can start there there is bone remodeling happening and you can start with two pound weights so if you look at the lift more protocol you get an idea of all of the key bone building sites to protect yourself and then what exercises load those bones and with an exercise history i actually added on for the wrist, I added on some rotator cuff movements. But mm-hmm. when you're keeping a fixed wrist with a weight in your hand, you, you're you creating that isometric contraction that actually does help. That's um, great. Well, remember when you're, when you're doing something for the rotator cuff, if you're doing over five pounds, you're, you're recruiting the shoulder muscles. So you only want correct. to do five pounds right. or less to, Absolutely. to yeah. make sure that you're doing the rotator, the sits muscles. Right. And what I show is two pound weights mm-hmm. for those rotator wrist wrist builders. That's and cool. I suggest people, I start them with the functional movement of a hip hinge, for instance. A deadlift is one of the best all body things any woman can do. And anything for yes. the posterior chain, right? I mean, oh my deadlifts, gosh, yeah. deadlifts and kettlebell swings. Yes. So I just started yeah. teaching some kettlebell swings. I like people to be really good at their deadlift before they try a kettlebell swing. So many of us have this, particularly 
well, I wouldn't say particularly females. So many of us have this chronic, awesome, efficient body cheat where we use our low back for lack of mobility elsewhere. And that can so often happen in deadlifts and kettlebell swings where your hamstrings, the posterior chain of your legs are so tight that your low back will create the space for you to get down to the kettlebell on the ground. Mm -hmm. So, but the awesome thing about learning a deadlift is that phase when you're going down is an eccentric load. It's a stretch. It's a loaded stretch. Do you teach uh, stiff leg deadlifts or? I do. I do. And I'll have people put the kettlebell for their deadlift up on blocks Mm -hmm. rather than curving their low back to get down there to lift. So it's very different from the way a heavy lifting gym would teach you because the kind of squat, for instance, the squat I teach, we're never going down so far, even if you've got the calf flexibility. We're never going down so far that you're curling your bum under. We, mm-hmm. you know, we want to stay away from that. I'm not qualified to, to read somebody's scan and tell them whether they can safely flex at their lumbar spine or not. So I'm not going to. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And, and the other thing that, that is so prevalent in women who have osteoporosis is that we'll see just these pathologic fractures. Yeah. You know, happen yeah. just from the, 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 so what a pathologic fracture is, is where something will break and you'll, you'll all of a sudden start having pain and you don't know why. And it's just from the load of your body. Yeah. And so we see that in the spine a lot. And that happens yeah. in women with osteoporosis. And so the whole idea is that we want to make sure that that doesn't happen to you. And the way to do that is mm-hmm. to get out and start walking. That's the first yes. thing that you can do first to help thing. yourself. Yeah. Long so, before. Yeah, long before weightlifting. I mean, weightlifting is not the place you go if you've had spinal fractures. Right. Yeah, you've you, got you, a, start, you start with just movement. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So when it comes to one of the things that you mention uh, in your website is you talk about, you know, niggling aches and pains that happen to you. And so can you just speak a little bit about how to manage these niggling aches and pains that, that I mean, one of the things that women complain about with menopause is the, one of the biggest ones is I've got a lot of joint pain. All yeah. of a sudden it's coming on, you know, and you know, there's the lack of sleep and there's the brain fog and there's all oh these things. Oh my but, God. But yes. The, <laughs> but, but we have this issue with these niggling aches yeah. and pains that we never had before. And so how do right. you manage that? So a lot of the work I do outside of the weightlifting really has to do I don't even like the word flexibility anymore. I really like the word mobility. And a lot of times our aches and pains come because we've become more and more immobile. You know, you think about women and shoulder issues. Women are the biggest ones for frozen shoulder. And one of the things that I like to work with people on is let's meet your body at its edge And let's start working on finding a a bigger range of motion. And when you start to own all of your ranges of motion, and that's what I call it and a number of other people call it, is owning your ranges of motion. If you can have strength in all your ranges of motion, you're less likely to have aches and pains because your muscles are not only going to elongate and contract, they're going to do it without relying on all the tendons and the joints. Mm. And so a a place I start, even my weightlifting, I start with breathing and alignment. And I will use the word posture. And that's really because my clients are used to that word. Posture is really how you look. Alignment is how you create a path of weight through your bones using gravity. And so what I really practice is alignment, but I'll, they like the word posture, so I'll use it. <laughs> sure. Okay. But it's I really- I mean, posture, a, posture tends to, to me, it tends to like be associated with chiropractic for some reason. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I always think chiropractic when I think of posture. 
Yeah, and when I, I'm just gonna turn sideways for you for a second. When yeah. I think about kyphosis, which happens mm -hmm. just from texting and typing and all of that, but it's also so wait, let's back up. Kyphosis. Kyphosis yeah. is when is when the is when the spine is bent uh, like this. Yeah. So it's kind of bent yes. outward. Okay. Yeah. Lower dosis is the other one. The other so, way. Yeah. So kyphosis yes. kyphosis is bent this way. Yes. Dosis is this one is, here. So yes. the so the sacrum and the yeah. lumbar spine is in lordosis and then we want the thoracic spine to also be in a bit of kyphosis, not completely straight because Correct. then you're going to have some yeah. problems. So you want it in a bit of kyphosis. Yes. We That's just don't want it. Yeah, we just don't want it to go crazy. Right. If you let's say you have a really rounded back and somebody's talking about posture, they mm -hmm. might say to you, well, if you just pull your shoulder blades back, so that does look better, but I've just moved shoulder blades on a rounded spine. I haven't, yeah. I haven't changed the rounded spine. So that's where I start is working on helping people recognize that pulling your shoulder blades back is just putting tension on top of tension. And and what do you do then for people who have the rounded spine and their and their tendons and their fascia is kind of mm -hmm. contracted? So yeah. how are you how are you working on that? So movement again, mm -hmm. if you think about how movement creates circulation, let's say we theoretically you know we know more about fascia now we've we can see it in amazing microscopic detail. If we hydrate that tissue through movement. Of course, we have to stay hydrated mm -hmm. <laughs> and drink a lot of water. But if we hydrate that tissue through movement, we can slowly begin to get more movement and more flexibility and more movement in the fascial sheets. So this is, again, where I'll work on range of movement, the arms in the shoulder girdle. But my favorite place to start is rhomboid push-ups. So getting the ability of and you don't even need to know where the rhomboids are. Just think about they're in the these back. are two. Yes. They're in the back. We'll just, <laughs> these we'll are, just, they're in the back. They're in the back. <laughs> these are two shoulder blades and you're mm -hmm. viewing them from the back. And so what I'm showing her, she's showing her hands together. So think, yes. think of, think of the uh, yeah. shoulder blades. If you, if you think about how you have your, your scapula, how they're working. So she's, she's just, because for the people who yeah. are just listening, yes. I want to listen. It's like two yeah. cups. Let's say we have two, two shells, two coconut shell halves. Okay. If the two coconut shell halves are your shoulder blades, what we want to do is figure out how to move them wide on your back, almost like those shells are going to wrap around towards the front. And we want to allow them to come together on your back. And I always use the word allow because I don't want people to get into their neck muscles. Mm -hmm. And I don't want them like squinching and squeezing. So I'll talk about allowing the bottoms of your shoulder blades to come together. And if we do it on hands and knees, and so, so many people can't get on their hands and knees, but if you imagine mm -hmm. being on your hands and knees, if you were being a really schlumpy hands and knees posture, your shoulder blades would just poop, sort of fall together. Mm -hmm. And if you pushed through the heels of your hands and tried to get taller, your shoulder blades would start to widen on your back. Now, and are you putting your hands together like a diamond push-up or? No. So my hands would be directly under my okay. shoulders. And I would, and essentially what would happen if you're just sitting in space is your fingertips are reaching towards a luscious cake in front of you and you're grabbing the cake and then Keep your the shoulder blades... Instead. Yeah. <laughs> and you're pulling that cake towards you without bending your elbows. So Got you're it. not going to get all the way to your mouth. But mm -hmm. that movement in space, when I first get people to just go for the cake and pull the cake back, that's right. their shoulder blades. So that's blades. just getting used to moving the shoulder blades. Yeah. That's that's really great. And I think I think it's important that when we talk about movement that we make friends with our body. So yes. so much of the time we tend to fight with our bodies. We tell ourselves we're fat or we tell ourselves we can't do mm -hmm. things. And so we want to start just by saying, okay, body, let's see what we can do and yeah. start, start there because it's, it's really easy to get discouraged 
when you're discouraged, then you're not going to want to do things. And motivation comes from achievement. And when you start to achieve, you're going to start doing more and more. And so it's really important that you start by just making friends with your body and starting where you are. Yes, yes. And loving where you are because your body has served you for all of these years. And it's going to continue to serve you. And maybe it is because you haven't moved enough. Well, don't beat yourself up about it. You've got plenty of years going forward to move more. That's true. And, you know, I've, I've met so many women who are like, oh, I never ate right and I never exercised. And now look at this. It's horrible. I have osteoporosis. We have information. We know so much more. This is an exciting time to take charge and change your situation. And maybe yeah. you don't reverse your osteoporosis, but you prevent breaks by learning to move more. And when you stop it in its tracks. Yes, you can stop it. Sure. You can stop yeah. it. There's always something you can do. And just moving more will prevent falls because you'll be more used to moving more. And yes, the most current research does say that fall prevention programs do not stop the percentage of hip breaks in elderly, like over 70. The, but the that biggest, doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. No, but the biggest the biggest thing about like, like, let's say you fall and break your hip, right? The biggest obstacle that we see to people rehabbing from that is they're afraid of falling again. Correct. And so getting over the fear of falling is harder than getting moving now yeah. before you fall. And exactly. so that is really, really important. And so, so important. It, yeah, because, because that, that is, we, we see that just there's this huge psychological barrier to moving right. because of the fear of falling, because of right. all the falls that have happened. And I saw that happen with my father. There's a yeah. book also I wanted to talk about, and I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Younger Next Year. I have heard of it. I have not read it. You know, one of the things that happens as we age is, you know, oftentimes we stop working. And right now, I mean, we're recording this in the middle of COVID where most people are home and have been home for eight to 10 weeks and it's starting to get rough and we're home and we're like, what do we do? We don't know what to do. And remember, you know, retirement is a lot like what's happening right now for people. (laughs) We have to think about that, right? So as we start to age, we want to start thinking about, well, what are we going to do when we're not working? And here we are in that. And this book younger next year and he's got one this younger next year and then there's, there's younger next year for women but when you look at the time that you have and you say okay you know we we talk a lot about covid and developing a routine and making your your life you know manageable because you need a routine that sort of thing but the next thing is to look at exercise as your job yeah. when you start to look at just moving your body as a function of being alive and something that is just something you do and not something you fight against yourself right. for, and you say, okay, I'm going to enjoy this, and I'm just, it's just something I do, then you don't have to use your willpower. Right. Because, you know, the willpower battery is full at the beginning of the day, and then as it starts to, you know, you start to see things that, like, for me, it's potato chips, right? If I see potato chips or anything like that, I'm going to eat it. doesn't matter how many times I see it. You know, at some point, I'm going to eat it. So I try not to see it. But the battery will go down, 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 yeah. down, 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 down yeah, yeah. throughout the day. And so if if you just say, okay, this is just something I do. It's just my job. Then, you know, it's a lot easier to, to yeah. get going. That's what I so find. So true. Yeah. 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 That's part of why I, I answered questions coming from women who felt overwhelmed by the idea of a weightlifting program. And Mm -hmm. and it's exactly what you said. That's just like, oh my God, wake up in the morning and I have this obligation to go weightlift, which I don't even know how to do and I'm afraid of it. So I started a membership that drips content in like three to nine minute sections. I have weekly themes and five days a week, they get content on wrists and ankles or mm. So you're giving people bite-sized chunks that, that aren't, you know, going to take up their whole day or worried right. about. I mean, I've done some challenges where, you know, I got this full book and it was like, you know, it was, it was you know, a full on weightlifting program. And it just became overwhelming because it would take yeah. me an hour and a half to get through the program. Right. And then like, like the cardio day was like 200 burpees. And I was like, okay, how long <laughs> is it going to take me to do 200 burpees? You know, when I'm not doing burpees every day. And, and so that was, 
that was right. really, and, and so I found that if you're dedicated, you can actually get really good results when you eat the right way and you move the right, right. way. Unless you want to live that way all the time, you yeah. know, we have to look at what we can do within right. our tolerance. Right. And so manageable. you're giving women, you know, these bite-sized kind of three to nine minutes where it's not going to take up your whole time. And then if you want to do more, then there's more. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good place to get started. Remember, getting started is the hardest part. Yeah, it is. Getting started is the hardest part. And so once you get started and as you start to see results, then you're going to get more motivation. One of the things I like to tell the ladies who are in my program is that, you know, if all you have to do is put on your trainers, then the rest is going to take care of itself. So if the goal, and, and this comes from this book called Mini Habits, when you start with something that is just super, super easy, then you, you're not failing. Right. And getting yourself motivated is a lot easier when all you have to do is take a drink of water instead of drinking three gallons of water. And then when all you have to do is put on your exercise clothes. And like, that's what I, every single day, I put on my exercise clothes. That's the first thing I do. And then yeah. I may not get to my exercise until later, but every single day, that's what I do. And I was right. telling them, it's just, just the other day we're, we're having a meeting. I said, the reason I'm always in exercise clothes is because that is my goal. That is the only thing I have to do is put on my exercise clothes. And then if I get to it, that's great. And if I don't, it's okay. And yeah. so I just give myself permission to yeah. do it or not. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever listened to Dr. Chatterby's podcast. He has one on mini bite-sized ways of changing your habits. Yeah. And he basically says, you know, what could you also do when you're brushing your teeth? That kind of thing. Yeah. And I, it's funny when he said that, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I actually roll a ball under my foot while I'm brushing my teeth. <laughs> now I do that because I had bunions and I'm trying to keep them you know, that's the bad years of wearing high heels. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't ever get in, into high heels. Oh my God, you're but so But I did lucky. have, I had bad, bad, bad plantar fasciitis oh, uh, yeah. when I first started running. And, you know, what I didn't realize as I started doing research on that was like, you have to really pay attention to your calves. Yes, you do. And that's, yeah. that you know, once People you loosen are, up the calves and, and yes. you know, get those stretched out. Oh man. The calf stretch is the thing that helped me with SI joint issues. I mean, it all starts down there. SI, so sacroiliac. So, so yeah. That's, yeah. So, so that's, that's in the back. The sacroiliac is in the back. And what can happen with the sacrum especially is really, really tricky because there's a lot of tendons that yes. attach the sacrum to the lumbar spine, to the ilium, the ischium. And so you've got all these tendons there and the sacrum actually gets pulled in all sorts of different ways. Yeah. And, you know, I went to osteopathic medical school uh -huh. and so yeah. we learned about managing the sacrum and it was, yeah. you know, there's, there's sacral torsions that can be oh, really yeah. hard, hard to manage. And, and it's just a matter of, I mean, they're hard to diagnose. I mean, I, right. I still don't remember oh, yeah. how to diagnose it. I just know which, which one's most common. And so there, there's treatments for that, but when you have SI joint problems, you want to make sure that you look at every muscle that is associated with it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, you know, the function of the body is so fascinating. So we never finished talking about the niggling yes. aches and pains. What else oh, can right. we do about niggling aches and pains? So we're on moving more. So whether if it's in your shoulders, getting to a place where you actually find the control to not only do a rhomboid pushup, but to be able to do circular movement with your shoulder blades, then we, we can talk about things like hip issues. So many women have that side hip or, you know, they think it's their IT band. There's all kinds of things that we think it is. But one of the things that I've discovered is if we try to create more balance, a lot of times those issues will go away. So rather than spot treating a niggling ache and pain, we work on having the path of weight going through your body, meaning your hips are not thrust forward and over your toes, your hips are back over your heels, that we start being conscious of how we're walking. And I'll do gait analysis with some people. And then I'm not trying to say, oh, this one muscle is your problem. What I'll say is, where does your body not, not like to go? Maybe you're walking not with both arms, but one arm is swinging and the other is stuck on your body. So I'm noticing that and thinking, 
hmm, so this side of your body doesn't really want to move much. And I'm noticing that that side of your body, the hip isn't moving either. You're kind of peg-legging when you're walking, if we, really, if we were to slow it down in slow motion. So then we just start saying, well, how can we give the body the experience that will bring balance? So we create movement that gives your body the experience. So it's no longer, oh, I have this corrective exercise list. Mm-hmm. It's about, but again, you're saying you're working with the body and yes. you're making friends with it. You're doing it, making in a friends way. with it. I love that you said that because yeah. that's what it is. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna have to like give you you're a little fighting credit against I, it. Yes, yeah, you're not fighting against you're, your body, you're actually yeah. making friends with it. And that, that was such a big aha for me yeah. when I got back into exercise. So I've been exercising with a coach now since the end of 2015, and yeah. I hired this guy, he's a triathlon coach. And I hired him because I went and built a, I, I did a TV show in Mallorca and I had to, had to ride up this 10,000 foot cliff, right? Or mountain. And I wanted to be in shape for that. Right. And, and I learned, you know, throughout the whole thing that, you know, it's not just about exercise, but it's really about how I choose to eat. That's going to pay attention, you know, help me pay attention yeah. to my body. And, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of things going on in there, but I've been working with him since 2015 and we started just on the bike and then I started running again and then I started swimming and now I can't swim because of COVID. And he keeps trying to get me to do, uh, to do events. And I'm like, I don't care about events. I just want right. to do the exercises. But what's really funny is when I very first started, it was such a chore just to do the work. Right. And now, now my body, I mean, I do more like I had a, I had a, in 2018, I, I, I got a bursitis in my left hip after a, after a race. And so I haven't done a race since it was September 30th of 2018. And I didn't run for almost a year because of that bursitis. Right. And it was, it was really horrible. But that year in August, I ran the Falmouth road race and I was seven. That's a seven mile race. It's a very popular race. Yeah. Uh, and I did it in 11 minutes per mile. Which, wow. Yeah. Which I is, couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't do that. I don't. And I, and I had been training. I mean, we had that, that was the summer we were, we had three cruises that summer and I, you know, I didn't drink at all. And I was up on the, the top of the ship running on the, the track every morning, just, you know, at like six o'clock and it was like 85% humidity, just, <laughs> yeah. you know, trying to keep, you know, keep things so right. I could do this, this race. And that was such a great ac- accomplishment for me. And that's when I really realized that I can do more with this body now. I'm 55 now. I was yeah. 50, 53 then. Than I could when I was 18. Oh, yeah. I am so much you know, stronger. I yeah. am so much stronger. And just a funny side note, a few days ago, we didn't, when I joined this tennis league, I didn't really know how to play. Sure. And I just found out on Monday of this week that had there been a banquet, I was going to win most improved player. Oh, that's so great. I do say, well, I started at zero. So (laughs) there's a lot of room for improvement, but it's because I'm stronger that I could do that. I never could have done that. It's not just that though. I want to say that whenever we want to do something that we've never done before, we have to, first thing we have to do is give ourselves permission to suck at it. Yeah. Okay. So, and I like to say this, I say this all the time, anything worth doing is worth doing very badly at first. So remember, you know, we had to crawl before we walked, we had to sit before we crawled. And so a baby doesn't get really upset every time they can't, you know, every time they fall down when they're learning how to walk, they just keep getting back up. And so anything that's worth doing is worth doing badly at first. And so it's really important to give ourselves permission to suck. Right. And, the, and, it is. and to not get down on ourselves, because especially if you're a perfectionistic type, you're going to yeah. think that you have to be perfect at stuff at the beginning. And you, you know, the, once you give yourself and, and women especially need permission because of the way we're brought up in this patriarchy. And so yes. it's important to give yourself the permission to just not have a problem. With right. It. And then it's right. important to have a community like you have built where you can get support. Yeah. Because it's the encouragement of, no worries. You, you've got this. Next time. Next time it's going to go the way you want it to. Yeah. And it, it makes a difference. It makes a difference to have people encouraging you. That's I've true. certainly found that. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things about, about menopause is that a lot of women in going through menopause feel alone. Yeah. Because it's so disruptive. I did. 
Yeah. 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 And, and so it's been so great to be able to get so many women to say, just to kind of like, Oh, I'm not alone. Oh my God. You know, and how can I build this community? And so we've got a nice community that we're really building and it's growing and we're super excited about that Yeah, here at the menopause movement. So, so you gave us one exercise. You gave us this rhomboid exercise. What else could we do? Like, let's say we have like, like something for neck pain. What could we do quickly for neck pain? So for neck pain, I, one of the places that I start is, again, finding all your ranges of motion. So stretching is great. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I love when you take your right ear to your right shoulder, and then maybe you reach your left arm away from you. Mm-hmm. That, that's a lovely stretch. And then yeah. I just have people notice whether they're rotating their head because you really were, I'm only asking you to bring your ear to -hmm. your shoulder. I'm not asking you to change where your chin is. And yeah, that, that, and so then we play with that. But in the end, what I'll do is start asking someone to, when they're in that position with their left arm extended, now play with the rotation so that your hand moves palm up, palm down, and you're rotating mm-hmm. your hand and you're just noticing what you're feeling in there. And then I might actually move to head circles. Uh, and, from and these are there, just little, little things. You little, can do for, yeah, for little things. Yeah, yeah, little things. And, but then the funny thing is, even for neck pain, I'll then move them into the rhomboid push-ups because so often we're creating tension, jaw, neck, upper back because we don't have stability or range of motion in our shoulders. Yeah. So I'll, so often if it's happening rib cage and above, I'm going to end up working on your shoulders. That's great. <laughs> it's just well, where it is. It's been great talking to you. Where can Good people find you? you? They can find me at sarahpurcellmovement.com. Sarah Purcell and Movement, S-A-R-A-H-P-U-R-C-E-L-L Movement, M-O-M-M-O-V-E-M-E-N-T.com. And, yes. and you work and with people one-on-one and also on Zoom to yes. fix their, yeah, their I've, movement I've issues. Worked, right. I've worked on Zoom for a long time. So yeah. Yeah, I'm me too. But now it's it. now it's busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now it's really busy. Yeah. What I really liked about something you put on your website was that you know we help you get through the tech, I, and and that's you know something you know women women in this age group you know tend to have a problem with tech, unless they don't. Yeah. So, but I think that's right. that's really great because you you know there's a lot of tech fear and it, tech is not that hard. It's just no. it's just practice. You just have to give yourself you know permission to do it badly. Yes, like as you said. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement today. Now, if you have questions about the topics covered in this or any other podcast, I invite you to open a conversation with me via email at info at menopausemovement.com or on Facebook Messenger through my Facebook page at Dr. Michelle Gordon. That's D-R-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-G-O-R-D-O-N. I also want to invite you to join in our next beta group. Here at the Menopause Movement, we are always trying out new methods of teaching and the best ways to get on top of your menopause symptoms. We regularly run beta test groups where we create a learning experience valued at $2,000, but at no cost to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials. To get notified of our next beta group, simply sign up at beta.menopausemovement.com. And thanks so much for being a part of the Menopause Movement. I appreciate you. Thank you.